0: So let's look at this well-known parable and see what we make of it this morning. You know the parable very well, of course. Traditionally, people might call it the parable of the sower. Well, that's useful because that's how things begin. But once the sower has been and sown his seed, he disappears. There must be more to it than that. Perhaps it's the parable of the seed this most dynamic thing. Uh, we're, all of us know how seeds work. We needn't go into that this morning. Yes, of course, it's all about seed growing or perhaps not so healthily growing. It could be about that. But the real better title, the real focus of Jesus' use of this parable is the soils. There clearly are four different places where the sower sows the same seed. Four very, very different results. And in context, which is why we read the passages we often miss out when looking at this parable, we see the context is all about listening, hearing the word, the seed, and doing it, making something of it. All three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, carry this parable, this passage. So, I guess it must be pretty important. It's interesting, the context. Jesus is addressing a great crowd. It was that stage of His early ministry, and yet it's only to the twelve disciples that the explanation, which we are familiar with, of course, through Scripture, was actually given. We know the story. The first soil was once soil, but people had been walking back and forward over this path, and this pathway made it impossible for the, for the seed to penetrate the soil. It was tramped on, and the birds ate it. The second soil was very rocky ground. The soil was very thin there, so when summer came, and the moisture and the soil dried up, they, the plant withered. The third soil was very, very weedy, full of thorns and thistles, and so the little uh, seedling was choked and smothered by their exuberant growth. But of course, the fourth soil, that's the soil we would want to be, isn't it? That's the soil that takes in the seed and grows. Now, in those days, in that place, a harvest of tenfold the seed to Uh, to the corn reaped would be a very good harvest. And yet here in Jesus' story, it's a hundredfold. This is exceptionally good conditions for the seed to grow. You would want to be the good soil, wouldn't you? Not the thorny, rocky, or hard soil. It's interesting that Jesus stops at that point, though. He doesn't unpack the parable as it was his style when preaching to the crowds, Matthew does this very well, Uh, he piles one parable on top of the other, and the explanation is not given to the crowds because, as Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, the people had started to become tired of Jesus' teaching, perhaps slightly bored, maybe even unimpressed. Take it or leave it was the kind of attitude amongst many people in the crowds. And so they had really stopped listening and certainly stopped acting upon Jesus' teaching. But not the disciples, as you can see uh, there at verse 11. The disciples come to Jesus and say, what does that mean? Teachers, tell us it. Make it possible for us to become the good soil. So Jesus unpacks the story and you know it very well, the seed on the path its tramped on and the birds ate it, it's like those people who hear the Word, but their lives are so busy with other things that the devil comes along and takes it away before they have the chance to do anything with it. Those in the rocky ground are those who believe a little while, but they're hard-hearted, perhaps not able to sustain the Christian life. They believe it for a little while and then fall away. And then there's those amongst the thorns whose lives are busy, people with very busy lives and cares and lots of other opportunities and things they can do. And so, the seed of Christian interest is choked, choked by life. Not necessarily bad things, just choked by life, and so the seed doesn't mature. All these soils, it comes to nothing, their initial interest in the Christian gospel. But for those in the good soil, there's not a tenfold but a hundredfold response and a superabundant harvest which Jesus clearly commends. So he explains this. The good soil are those who hear the Word, who, as Jesus says, hold on to it with an honest and a good heart. I wondered if there was a clue there as to what that meant, for surely you and I, we would want to be good soil for the good news of Jesus, to bear a harvest. But the language isn't very helpful. Cardia is the word for heart. Well, cardiac rest and all the rest of it. We all know the word cardia and heart. Good is still good. Honest is maybe good in a moral kind of way. But beyond that, the words don't really tell us what Jesus means. But he goes on to say, they bear fruit with patient endurance. It's just the ordinary word for patience. So, it seems that's what we need To be the good soil that bears fruit, to be patient through times of trial and difficulty, and to take God's Word to heart. Well, it must be simple then. But actually, maybe not, because then I thought to myself, well, how do we do that being a practical person? How I become like that? How do I encourage others to become like the good soil? Well, I find it interesting when I looked at the other Synoptic Gospels that both Mark and here in our Gospel of Luke, the Gospel writers begin to answer that question and fill out Jesus' teaching with their short parable or illustration of the lamp. And as we said earlier on, the lamp could be a candle, or I think most likely it's an olive oil lamp, which would be commonplace in those days. Of course, you wouldn't cover over a lamp. You wouldn't cover a naked flame, not only because no one else could see it then, but because it would start a fire. No, you would display it, you would put it on a lampstand, you would put it on top of the table, not underneath all those coverings and blankets and table covers and so on and start a fire. No, it would be here for others to see. So our Sunday school teachers, perhaps you first heard this parable when you were in Sunday school, a few years ago now perhaps, our Sunday school teachers and ministers, taught us well where we encouraged us to hear the gospel message and take it to heart, to take it to heart, that believing the good news of Jesus, of God's love for us in Jesus, we would take it to heart and put it into action in our lives by coming to worship on a Sunday by helping volunteer at various church activities, such as we had yesterday and and other times here. There's many opportunities at the cafe and elsewhere for us to take God's message to heart and put it into action. The kind of idea that something spiritual touches our hearts, it then flows into our lives. There's a moral dimension to following Jesus. And of course, Jesus has not long finished the Sermon on the Plain. Matthew recorded a similar preach called the Sermon on the Mount. And you know the many practical things Jesus has preached about that are here in our Scriptures. And that's fine and right and proper, that we should listen for our own benefit, that it should make us better people as someone commented uh, to us recently. It'll make a difference to us. It would bless our lives. But I think this passage has another dimension. In fact, I'm convinced of it. I think this passage has also something to say based on this picture of light. Because you see, Jesus believes we are lights. Yes, I know there's that slide earlier on about Mark Burroughs, and a very, very worthy recipient of that award. But in Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus is preaching, and Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden no one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel but a uh, basket but on a lampstand to give light to all in the house in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven The second and I think often neglected application and dimension of this parable and this passage is that our light is for the benefit of others. Oh, I know it changes our lives as the candle is changed, it burns down uh, as it, it illuminates it. Our lives are changed by the gospel, of course, but there's an outward looking dimension to this passage to this parable of let your light shine. We are all lights. Let it shine so that other people can see. There's an evangelistic reason for shining for Jesus, not just a selfish or a personal or an internal reason. It's so that other people can see the light of Jesus, even in us. It's an outward-looking Christianity not an inward-looking morality that, of course, can collapse and go wrong into hypocrisy. No, Jesus wants us to share His light with others, others in the room, nearby us, in our family and friends, further afield, where a, where a city set on a hill. Well, that's going to have a far, far larger reach out into our communities. It was a famous uh, preacher from another generation who said, G.C. Rell said, The highest form of selfishness is that Christian who is happy to go to heaven alone. True charity is to try to share with others every bit of light that we possess. And I don't often hear that. I hear it in other places, but I don't often hear this when we look at this passage. I used to think it was about let my light shine and change my life. No, it's about let my light shine so that others may see the light, Jesus, the light of the world, even in my poor life, so that they can ask what the disciples asked. What does that mean? So as they can say to us when they come along to our coffee mornings or whatever, why do you do this? This is great. So as they can say, where could I find out more about this? And perhaps we could say, so would you like to come to church on a Sunday, not just a coffee morning, on a Saturday? We often have opportunities to say a little about Jesus in a natural way. I'm not talking about picking up a Bible and bashing folk over the head, etc. We don't do that anymore, if ever. I'm talking about naturally sharing Jesus at every opportunity God gives us. Another famous preacher uh, that many of you will know of, John Stott, uh, puts it very well. He said, If we truly love our neighbors... We shall, without doubt, share with them the good news of Jesus. Why? Simple, uncomplicated compassion. And yet we often hesitate to do this. Or is that just me? We often hesitate. We say, well, well, how can I say I show to my love to God by my love to others and not share Jesus with them as well. Well, we might mean we we share God's love in practical ways. We address people's needs. We have eggs going to the lodging house mission. We support all sorts of things through the church. And yes, that's right and proper that we do. Yes, people have needs, homeless people, People who are vulnerable have needs, it's right to address those needs. But don't people whom we rub shoulders with day by day, don't, we, don't they also have spiritual needs? How can we say we care for others and we give them a cup of tea or an Easter egg or are hospitable towards them? And we care for their various practical and social and emotional needs as we should, but then we neglect their spiritual need. I'm not saying we should all become ministers and preachers, but we have the seed of the gospel planted in our heart. How strange that we are loath to say something about Jesus. When we have opportunity, when there are people next to us who have a need to hear the gospel, and perhaps in an era of declining churches and church attendance and even church ministers, I think there is a place for the congregation to take this challenge seriously. Can we say something simple about Jesus. I hear you all chatting away to your friends, speaking eloquently and at length about topics that are important uh, to you or to the person you're speaking with. It's not lack of ability to speak, not at Stone Law, that's for sure. We can all speak to the people we like and about the things we like, So why can't we speak of Jesus? Why can't we share Jesus naturally so that the light in us doesn't stay covered up, doesn't get hidden away, but is shared through a few simple words? Who knows what would happen if we were to share Jesus naturally with others a little more often. Yes, by all means, let our light shine in practical ways of practical caring for our communities, for our families, for those in need abroad. It's wonderful the sums of money and the compassion that's poured out from Stone Law to such physical, emotional, practical needs. But can I ask you, can I challenge you? Can I challenge myself? Let's not neglect the fact that God's Word needs the gospel of Jesus. And if we have the opportunity, surely we should let that light shine and speak of Jesus. So the next time you're thinking of a church event, may I ask you, plan amongst all the other things we have, and we have a multitude of rotas and duties, plan for someone to speak of Jesus at your next event. When you're doing your calendar of activities, plan for someone to speak of Jesus in a place where those who haven't heard will be gathered. It's great that we're doing that, starting with Neil um, at our Thursday nights. It's wonderful that that will be a way of sharing Jesus with those who gather on a Thursday night. And that will be good for those who choose to come on that Thursday night. But what about those other opportunities that you and I have when we're out and about, when we're sitting having a coffee, when we're with friends and family? to look for God, to give you a natural place to speak of Jesus in simple terms. And so, let your light shine, and let the good news of Jesus be shared with those certainly in need, as we are, as we confess here at Stonewall. Amen.